Americans are capable of achieving extraordinary things when they have the freedom and opportunity to do so. This is American Potential, and here's your host, Jeff Crank. All right, well, thanks for joining us for another edition of American Potential. You know, on our podcast here, we like to talk to people who've been able to remove government-imposed barriers, because that's really what this is about, is breaking government-imposed barriers. And today's guest is an elected official who wanted to make government processes more effective, and by doing so, made an impact on the world, and even had a case heard before Israel's Supreme Court, if you can believe that. Because of it, because of her work. She started working on her idea in 2018, but the timing of it going live is how it made such an impact. During the beginning of COVID, business owners and government officials had to get creative to provide services. But unfortunately, some had to make the hard decision to stop providing those services altogether. This elected official's idea was launched in January of 2020 right before the world shut down. But her goal, to make one process easier, still allowed for an everyday event to occur. And today's guest is Amelia Powers Gardner, who is a county commissioner in Utah County, Utah. Commissioner, thanks for being with us. Absolutely, my pleasure. Thank you. So you didn't hold this office at the time. You're now a county commissioner, but this you were at the head of the elections department, right? The the, the clerk, if you will. Yeah, it um, was a, for Utah County. It was a dual position clerk auditor. So I did all the finances for the county as well as elections and marriage licenses and passports. Awesome. Well, great. And before we get started, you're, first of all, you're the first woman elected to the Utah County Commission. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, on that, and then also we were talking right before we started. You are a, you went through a GLA, uh, Grassroots Leadership Academy, level one training. You are an activist for Americans for Prosperity. And you, we talked about how important it is that people, as they go through that, um, realize what an impact they can have if they just take that next step as you did. Yeah, I actually did GLA one and two. And um, last year, even as, as a county commissioner, uh, went to uh, another grassroots leadership academy class um, in Colorado. So I have very much found a lot of value in the things that that I learned through the GLA process, you know, things like how to tell a story and effective communication. And a lot of the things that that I learned through grassroots leadership academy have been pivotal in not only me being able to get elected, but me being able to get my message across and actually accomplish things that reduce the burden of government for my citizens. Well, and as you talked about reducing the burden of government, what, why is that important, right? Why is it important to make government more efficient and, and work for the citizens that pay for it? Yeah, I think there's really two reasons. Um, the first reason is because an efficient government costs less money to run, which means that we need less taxes to do it, right? That's, I think that's a, a, a big thing. Um, the more efficiently we do our processes and, and we run our programs and our departments in government, the less tax dollars we have to spend to do so. Uh, that's near and dear to my heart because I think, as as uh, Calvin Coolidge once said, that any taxation not morally ne- not in, imperative and necessary is morally reprehensible. So uh, I only think that the tax rate should be as high as it 
possibly has to be in order to do the bare minimum, right? And the other reason is because government is really here to serve the citizens. This was a huge shift when I came into my departments. Uh, the, the employees working in the departments almost felt like citizens were an inconvenience into what they did every day. And I really had to come in and, and change their paradigm to say, you realize that serving the citizens is why you actually have a job. Like that's the whole right. purpose of government is to serve the citizens. Um, but for hundreds of years, government has expected citizens to come into government on our terms, meaning typically bankers hours, right? Monday through Friday, 8.30 to 4.30. And that's really not convenient. I think making processes more efficient and making them so that the citizens can access the government services when is convenient and how is convenient for them really makes government serve the citizens instead of making the citizens adhere to the government. Well, and, and that's really critical in a job like like a clerk or an auditor, mm -hmm. because I think, you know, in many places, I know in here in, I live in Colorado and in Colorado we have, there are term limits now. So they, they don't stay for a long time, but boy, we had clerks that were there for 20 or 30 years and nothing wrong with a clerk having the experience. And I think you learn a lot as, as you do that job, but you know, it is good to bring that, that fresh perspective and try and come up with new ideas that say, Hey, we have, we, we haven't been doing it this way, but let's try something new. And, uh, you know, I think it's refreshing when people hear that about an elected official. Yeah, it, it, I definitely was a unicorn among clerks. 90% uh, <laughs> plus, if not 99% of clerks in this country uh, worked in the office for 10, 15, 20 right. years. And then their boss decided to retire and then they were anointed the replacement. Right. And so almost all of them, the vast majority of their career was in the office and they'd never worked in. In an, in an area that had to cater to customers in order to keep them coming back. And so it's just a skill that that had been lost in the industry. Um, and our, our employees were fantastic. They embraced this paradigm shift and really see the citizens as their customers. Well, and you talk about a paradigm shift, and that's really what it is. Uh, I have a very good friend who's a clerk or was a clerk for many years in Colorado. And, and he was really known for bringing, uh, you know, bringing that customer service mentality and trying to reduce the wait times and all that. And people have, you know, I mean, it's legendary to talk about, oh boy, I have to go to the DMV or I have yeah. to go to the clerk's office. And people just like dreaded it. You know, it's, it's like the worst thing. And to have that be a good experience is such a such an amazing thing for citizens to see. Yeah. And I, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, particularly voting. So the election that I actually won, I beat a three-term incumbent. The year that I won that election, we had five and six-hour lines to vote in our country. Wow. And uh, there was actually a, a Republican member of Congress, Mia Love, who most likely lost her re-election right. because my county votes a two, at a two-to-one ratio for Republicans. And there were thousands of people that got out of line because they couldn't wait five to six hours to vote. Um, under my tenure as county clerk, we never had a line longer than 30 minutes. Wow. Yeah. Mia Love was a great policy champion for AFP. She was a great, great member of Congress. Uh, yeah. We were sad to, to have lost her. Likewise. Let, let's, talk, let's talk about some of the changes that, that you made uh, in Utah County. And then specifically, I do want to get... Uh, 
to this this one that's had the the worldwide impact. But but let's talk about maybe some of the changes you made as well. Yeah, I made it just a quick list. I mean, there's so many. There was we had lo- it was been a lot of low hanging fruit, so I was able to do a lot. But I'll just <laughs> cherry pick a few of them. Um, one is we implemented DocuSign. We do thousands of contracts a year here at the county, and every one of them needed three to four wet ink signatures. It would take almost a month to execute a contract. Uh, We use DocuSign now, and most contracts take less than five days. Um, We did paperless accounting and POs. Every time you wrote a PO for something, you used to have to print off a piece of paper and staple things to it and bring it to the uh, the accounting office. Um, We got rid of that, so you can now scan an image, and, and we can do that electronically. Um, here's a big one. When I filed to run for office in 2018, I couldn't use a credit card to pay my filing fee. I had to wow. go to a bank and get a check or cash. Uh, so we instituted ACH and credit card payments um, and then implemented a ton of transparency in the elections office, installed uh, surveillance cameras that could be viewed at any time in our lobby and implemented a lot of technology that would bring transparency to the elections process. Um, But the one that I think that has made the biggest impact is our online marriage license portal and, and then later our zoom weddings. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. Well, before I do, I want to mention, you know, as COVID hit, I I always think about this. I, I worked for Americans for prosperity at the time and because we're a national organization with state chapters everywhere, we, we were already using Zoom and Teams, you know, Microsoft Teams and things like that. So when when it hit, I think we were much more prepared for it than a lot of places that this was like, what in the world do we do? And they had a real quick, I'm sure if, if you worked for Zoom, your stock went crazy through the roof and, you know, companies were coming trying to figure out solutions. The, the same thing was true in government, right? I think... It sounds like you were much more prepared because you had already started to put in some of these technological uh, changes and advancements. Mm-hmm. And and there were many clerk's offices around the country that had no clue. They were just caught flat-footed. Let's talk about some of the changes you did in the area of marriage licenses. Yeah. So the first, um, as you mentioned, this I started in 2018. So I actually got married in 2018. I'd already won the nomination in a predominantly Republican county. Um, and so the, the general was actually an easier, an easier election there. Um, uh-huh. and I, I went in the office to get married and they handed me a clipboard with a piece of paper on it and a pen tied with a shoelace to the clipboard. <laughs> and they handed one to my now husband and said, here, fill this out. Um, and we had kids with us. We both of us had had kids at the time. So uh, we had kids with us and there was like nowhere for the kids to sit. And then we're sitting here and he had to take a day off work before the wedding so we could go get the marriage license. Um, and then we filled out these papers and, uh, and then we had to you know, sit there and wait. And then when it was our turn, we handed these clipboards to this nice lady who then proceeded to, while we sat there with children, retype everything we had just written on the paper into her computer. And right out of the shoot, I said, this absolutely has got to change. There has got to be. And and you were, at this time, you were the Republican nominee for the office. Is that right? Yeah, I was the Republican nominee for the office. It was really interesting. I was almost like a secret shopper. Like, I knew I was (laughs) going to be their boss. 
but right. they didn't know I was going to be there. Right. <laughs> they didn't right. recognize yeah. me or who I was. They were just going to be sure. politically active. Um, right. And so I just, as I was going through the process myself, I was literally just thinking of everything that we should do differently. At the very least, I said, we should, we should, I should we be typing all of this information into the computer myself at home before I show up. And then when I show up, I should be able to tell you my application number and you pull it up. Like the very least, there's got to be a way for you to right. not have to retype everything I've just written down and then have to ask three times if my handwriting was right, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, so I started with that. Um, and then um, when I got into office, that was one of the first things I said we needed to change. I said, okay, first of all, there's got to be a better way to do this. Let's, let's start with that. Uh, beginning of 2019 and we started just chugging away at at how can we do this and how can we do it well um but ideally i said at the very least we need to have some sort of a form that they can fill out but ideally i don't want people to have to step foot in a government building taking a day off work before their wedding to get a permission slip from the government for two uh, consenting adults to perform a religious ceremony like there's just so mm-hmm. much about this that doesn't right. make sense to me um, yeah and so we did. So we went through and, and we had our our very first version of it. Just you filled out all your information, but you still had to come in and show your ID. And then version two, we were able to get an identity provider that could verify identity remotely. And obviously you could pay your fee online. Um, and then we were able to, throughout the course of 2019, get it all the way to the point that even after the wedding is performed, um, you uh, you take your phone and your officiant can scan the QR code on the email that we sent you and it pulls up on their phone where they can enter all the information about how, where, what, when they performed the wedding, who the witnesses were, and they can hit submit. So on the back end, away from away from what most people see, we also discovered there were other issues with this marriage license process. Um, in my wedding in 2018, for example, actually it was Congresswoman Mia Love actually performed my wedding ceremony. And right after she performed the ceremony, she had to take off. There was a, a critical illness in the family and she was going to take off. She forgot to sign the marriage license so that we could turn it in and officially be married. So my cousin had to like drive follow her home basically to her house, <laughs> stalk her to her house to get her to sign this, right? Before she could turn it in. Right. Um, we actually had one scenario where we had this beautiful couple. They had five children and 13 grandchildren and they showed up to get a copy of their marriage license. And like 40 years ago when they got married, their bishop forgot to turn in the paper and we had no record oh, wow. of, their med- of their wedding. Oh, wow. So we had to like backdate and like they had to remember who were the witnesses and what day and where were you married and we had to like backdate. This. Wow. Um, and so we just said, you know what? If we can just even make that part of it super easy, that would be great. And so we end to end, nobody has to step foot in a government building. And then as soon as they, as soon as your officiant confirms that they've performed the ceremony and all the boxes are checked, you actually get a digital digitally certified marriage certificate in your email inbox that you can then download and you have an official copy of your marriage certificate that's that's digital. Wow. Wow. Well, that's amazing. And I got to tell you, I've been married 32 years. I can tell you the day 
That I can tell you. I couldn't tell you who the witnesses were, though. I'd have <laughs> to look the on the marriage part. license. Absolutely. Yeah, I would imagine. I would imagine. So I, I talked about how, how this happened. Now, this all kind of happened right as COVID was was coming about. Is that right? Yeah, we launched. We went live with the final version in January of 2020. Wow. So just a few months after that is when COVID really hit. Right, right. So, so it was, we were literally just weeks, you know, several weeks into utilizing the system live when COVID hit. So when COVID hits and government offices all over the world shut down, nobody could get marriage licenses except for the citizens here. So yeah. the way most marriage licenses work is if you can usually use a marriage license for anywhere in a state, anywhere in that state. Mm-hmm. And so in our county, I mean, it was, it was a non-issue. People just kept getting marriage licenses. And then when the other counties in the state realized that people could get marriage licenses from us, they started putting on their websites. They would put signs on their door. They would put on their voicemail. Go to utahcounty.gov to get your marriage license. Wow. Huh. Yeah. And then uh, from what I understand, I was reading this, uh, Monica had, had talked to you, I guess, a little bit about this, but even even states like New York, I heard even Governor Andrew Cuomo. Yeah, so his urging. office called. In fact, Andrew Cuomo's office called me and they said, hey, uh, just a per- they, they get through to me and says, hi, I'm you know, so-and-so from Governor Andrew Cuomo's office. And <laughs> he is getting complaints that you guys can give marriage licenses and the state of New York can't. And he would like to know how you're doing it and if we can mm-hmm. replicate it. And there was actually an executive order that Andrew Cuomo's office came out to that said that in New York, they had to start issuing marriage licenses remotely. Interesting. So, so kind of, uh, as I talked about, I think maybe they weren't ready for COVID to hit, but you were well ahead of the curve because this was, this government efficiency was an idea that you wanted to champion. And so, uh, it's a lot easier to do that and be able to set things up than I'm sure trying to do it in the middle of a pandemic, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And there is still, I mean, even then ours is significantly more seamless. So for example, in New York and some of the other places, what they would do is, uh, you would go to their website and fill out a Google form. And then you would actually have to set an appointment, a Zoom appointment with them. And then they would appear via Zoom and you would get your driver's license and you'd like hold your driver's license up to the camera. And then you'd be like, you know, it's me. And then they would, and then they would give you the marriage license and they would send it to you. And then you would actually have to print it out at home. And then you would have a printed one that people could fill out and still mail back. Um, whereas ours, because it's completely remote, it's available 24 uh, seven. All you need is an internet signal and a government issued ID and a camera. So were, were there other states, obviously you talked about how other Utah counties said, go to Utah County. Uh, to to get your marriage license because we can't do it because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Were, were there other states? I mean, there were other states trying to emulate you, but but who else could could use your service in Utah County? So at first, the first couple of months, you couldn't. The first couple of months, uh, according to state law, the only place you could use the marriage licenses were in the state, and in the same in other states. That's how most states are. They're not going to let you use a marriage license from another state to get married in mm-hmm. their state. So for the first couple of months, we were getting phone calls just constantly from people, you know, in Kansas. Hey, my wedding is coming up. I None of my offices are open. Can we use your marriage license to get married? And we would have to say, I'm sorry, look up the law in Kansas. But if Kansas doesn't let you use a Utah marriage license, you can't. So right. um, 
you know, at first it wasn't a big deal because everybody thought it was two weeks, right? So two months into two weeks to flatten the curve, we're still getting phone calls saying, I've been waiting months to get a marriage license and I can't. Can I just use yours? Uh, I finally asked my team, I said, what can we do? What can we do to help people? Um, and my chief deputy was an attorney and was going through and, and looking at the state law. And he comes back to me and says, well, there is one idea, but it's kind of, kind of unique. And I said, what's that? And he said, well, the law says that in order to use a Utah marriage license, that the marriage has to be performed in the state of Utah. And I was like, okay. And he goes, so if you're the one performing the marriage and you're sitting in Utah, it doesn't actually say where the bride and groom need to be located. Hmm. And I thought about that for a minute and I said, you know what? Their judges are letting people appear in court via Zoom. And if, right. if court counts a Zoom appearance as appearing before a judge, then why couldn't Zoom count to appear before a marriage officiant? Uh, so I said, let's try it. Let's do it. And literally just asked my staff, I said, set up a, get a Zoom account for the marriage license office, um, put a, a calendar link on the website where people can sign up for Zoom appointments. And I just put it out on social media. Um, I think it was probably around May-ish uh, of 2020. And I just said, hey, if you or someone you know can't get married because a government office isn't open to give you a marriage license, call me. And I'll perform your marriage via Zoom. And that's really wow. how the whole thing started. Wow. I, I'm sure when you started this, you, you probably didn't think that you would even have impact beyond Utah County. But as COVID happened, you saw, you saw that spread throughout Utah and then throughout the United States and even throughout the world. And that's where this story kind of gets really crazy, Yeah. right? Is uh, let's talk about what happened with, with Israel and and uh, the Supreme Court had to even get involved in Israel. Yes. So when you get married in uh, any of the countries that are a part of the Geneva Convention, you can get a government document that has what's called an apostille seal on it. So um, a birth certificate, a marriage certificate, any of these things you can get an apostille seal on. I mean, even a, a background check from a government agency. And it's part of an international treaty. Well, when you get married somewhere in the United States, you can get a marriage certificate with an apostille seal. So we had a couple of couples who got married through Zoom, utilizing our service, and then they paid to have a paper marriage certificate sent to the lieutenant governor's office to get an apostille seal and then to get shipped to them. So they had an official marriage certificate with an apostille seal. Uh, now, what we learned is that in Israel, civil marriage is not legal. The rabbinate, or was not legal, the rabbinate controlled uh, all marriage. And so basically, orthodox religious marriages were the only ones allowed in Israel. In fact, there's an entire industry, they call it the cottage wedding industry in Cyprus. And it was very common. Couples that were either not of an orthodox faith or that were... Um, not faithful at all, or were cross-faithful, so one was maybe Jewish and one was Christian, the couple 
would fly to Cyprus, get married in one of these marriage cottages, and then fly back to Israel and have their marriage celebration, their reception with their friends and family. Um, but in, during COVID, Cyprus shut down those flights and they wouldn't allow them. Well, the other way that people in Israel got around this is they would get married on boats. They would get on a boat and they'd go out to international waters and they'd get married in international waters and then come back. And for that, they were using marriage licenses from the Maldives. But the Maldives had shut down and wasn't issuing marriage licenses either. And so we had all these couples uh, in Israel that couldn't get married at all um, and their marriages weren't, weren't legal there. So through the grapevine, through social media, through word of mouth, they heard about our system and several couples started getting married through our system. And then when they would go back to Israel to register the marriage, because Israel, they won't perform the marriages, but they'll register these marriages in Cyprus or in international waters or anywhere, anywhere else in the world. They'll register them. They, they were given a handful of marriages and they recognized a couple of those marriages from straight couples and then they refused to recognize the marriage from a gay couple. And so then after that gay couple, all of the straight couples, they wouldn't recognize those marriages either. So those couples brought forth a class action lawsuit against, um, against the minister of the interior who had refused to, to recognize those marriages. And that lawsuit went all the way to their Supreme Court. Uh, where there was a unanimous ruling of the Supreme Court that they have to recognize our marriages. So you you can't you couldn't have imagined never <laughs> when you decided I mean, to, yeah I mean here you are just trying to make government a little bit more efficient for the good citizens of Utah County Utah and all of a sudden you're embroiled in a Supreme Court case in Israel it must have been stunning to you yeah absolutely I, I mean I was. I was thrilled to find out that I was enabling people all over the world to form families, right? I think that I think that marriage is ordained of God. I believe that the family is the basic unit of society. And I think it, it's crazy that any government entity, because of fear, would stop families from forming. And so I was very proud in that I could I could facilitate that. But you nailed it. I mean, I literally just started by trying to make government more efficient. So that people right. from Utah County, Utah, didn't have to take a day off work before their wedding and that we weren't paying people a full-time wage plus benefits and a pension so that they could retype everything you had just written on a piece of paper. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, it, it's, it's an incredible story. And again, one that uh, imagine how much more often we would see things like this if all elected officials looked at it like you did and said, look, I... I just got elected to this role. I want to make government more efficient, more effective, and work for the citizens. And and they really push the envelope. I think we'd see this more often. But so many of them get elected and kind of do it the way that that they their predecessor did it, or or whatever they were handed to them. So hats off to you for for that. And this show is about breaking those government imposed barriers. This certainly was one, particularly in a in a time of COVID, where you know government offices couldn't perform the basic services that they need to do to keep society running. Right. Um, yeah. So um, what else are you working on now? You're in a new role. Now you're a County commissioner Yes. Um, in Utah County. What I, I assume you're still trying to innovate and, and bring technology to, 
to government and make government more uh, more affordable and workable for the average citizen. What are you working on? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I have not slowed down one iota since then. <laughs> uh, didn't slow down through COVID at all. Uh, we didn't miss any work through COVID. I, it was funny. I would go to conferences and be like, have you guys opened back up? I was like, um, we didn't close down. <laughs> are your employees back at work? They never were gone. Um, and what, one of the big things that I would like to do is take this idea of these remote services that we did uh, through um, through the marriage licenses and these online calendars and scheduling. And we've really been working on that. So um, one, one of the things that our county has been well known for over the last several years is innovation. And we've really been pushing the envelope in trying to make sure that things are efficient. So we have online calendars. If you're gonna come into an office, you don't have to make an appointment, but we recommend it. And we have an online calendar. And that really helps people know um, that the lines aren't gonna be long, right? Because you all, this is something you always have where there's long lines at this time of day and nobody at this time of day, right? So, so that's mm -hmm. a big part of it. We've also shifted a lot of our work to uh, part-time labor so that we can have Instead of everybody working eight to five, we can open offices at 7.30 in the morning and they can be open until 7.30 at night so that people, regardless of what the hours they're working, they can come into the, into the county. Uh, that's been really helpful for our citizens and has cost us uh, less money to, to serve the citizens. But I think the biggest thing that I'm really working on that I'm excited about is just this idea of being able to, to get these remote services. Um, I grew up in, in poverty and my family utilized WIC services. Um, and the hardest part for my family was after my mom went and got a college degree. And then when she got a full-time job after college so that she could work us out of welfare, uh, we fell off the welfare cliff. And that's that these welfare offices, like, like the WIC office, these are open during banker's hours. And when my mom graduated college and got her first job, um, she couldn't go in and, and fill out the paperwork on it, uh, you know, on a, on a yearly basis. So we lost our services because she couldn't take time off work to go down and fill these out. And so here we are losing access to nutritional food because of that. Um, there was a, a big portion of my life where the only meal that I received was school lunch. Um, wow. In fact, I remember, my sister and I remember when schools started announcing that they were going to serve breakfast as well. And we literally cried because we knew we were gonna get two meals a day um, because we had lost the WIC benefits only because my mom couldn't make it to the WIC office during banker's hours so that she could fill out this paperwork. So we literally, they were penalizing her for having, for having a job, right? And she was losing the services that got food for her children because she got a job. So um, what I'm currently working on right now with our health department is taking all of these services and making them accessible remotely so that we can have a mom that can, after she's put all of her kids in bed at night, at 10 o'clock at night, she can open up a computer or even on her cell phone, she can fill out all the paperwork necessary. She can take a picture of her government issued ID. She can take a selfie video so that we know that it's really her and she can submit that application to us. Um, same thing with, with being able to get a, a birth certificate. You know, If she's got a child that's turning five, and is, and is going into kindergarten. If she's in poverty, chances are she's probably moved four to five times since that child was born and probably doesn't know where their birth certificate is. And rather than having to take a day off work to go down to the health department to get a birth certificate for her child just so that she can register him for school, she can now remotely 
verify that she's his mother and get a birth certificate sent to her so that she can give that to the school. Um, one, one of the things that I'm working on locally, but also statewide, is I, I was able to get a bill passed this last legislative session that said that if you have a, a digitally certified copy of a government document, it has the same rights and privileges as a paper copy. So, so that mom, instead of having to wait for a birth certificate in the mail to show up to her, once she verifies she's the mother and she needs a birth certificate, we can email her a certified digital copy and she can bring that into the school or she can even email that to the school and say, here's a, here's a copy of my son's birth certificate so that he can be registered for kindergarten. And just trying to make things more convenient for citizens. So those are the specific projects that I'm working on. Yeah. Well, those are great. It sounds like, sounds like we need to send you to Washington, D.C. Imagine if you ran the TSA or the IRS. I, I mean, you probably wouldn't want to do that. I can't imagine who would. But man, I mean, I, wouldn't that be amazing if we I were would able to have do that? fun running them? I don't think they would like. I think the article you read, the irony of it is they called me a bureaucrat, and I just couldn't help but laugh because I think I'm probably a bureaucrat's last, like their last, yeah, a choice, right? I'm their nightmare. So I come in yeah. and the bureaucrats say, "Well, that's not how we do things," and I say, "Okay, that's nice. This is how you do them now." Right. Well, and and I'm sure that your staff in the in the clerk's office and, and in these places where you've kind of reformed after a while, probably saw it and bought into it and understood that you were providing a better service. And, you know, they, they just had to change their paradigm or shift their paradigm, as you said, right? Yeah, the majority did. I would say over 90% really got it right. and have jumped on board. Um, and about 10%, honestly, just said, hey, you know what, You're, this is too much radical change for me. I'm going to work for another department. And I literally had a few employees that chose to go work in other departments that don't change. And they told me it was because you changed too much too fast, yeah. um, which is great. That's fine. They can go work in a department that doesn't want to sure. change. But if you're going to work in my department, we're going to change. We're going to make things better. You know, but yeah. it is, it's really exciting to see because we have changed hundreds of things. And the vast majority of them, the ideas came from the employees. Once they kind of caught the fever, they were coming to me and saying, can we do this? Can we do this? What about this? Can we improve it this way? What if we did this? And what's really exciting about that is that they then have, they then have this, this excitement because we're, we're implementing their ideas. And they are seeing how they are impacting the lives of our citizens in a good way. Yeah. Oh, that's great. That That's such a great story. And it's just too bad that more elected officials don't look at it that way. Mm -hmm. it's, how can we make this better for the citizens of, of our community? Not just kind of be a good caretaker for the office, but really think of it and, and revolutionize it, if you will, and, and transform it. So uh, thanks for thanks for doing that. Thanks for sharing the story. What a great story. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. All right. Well, Commissioner, thank you so much. I hope you'll come back again. We, we need to have you come back and maybe you could just tell your personal story. Love to hear your personal story. It sounds like a, a transformational journey in your own life as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'll come back anytime. All right. Well, that really shows you how, what a difference uh, an elected official who wants to, wants to make government efficient, wants to make it work for citizens and remove government barriers. What a difference they can make, man. Imagine, I mean, imagine if she ran something like, you know, the IRS or TSA or any of the federal departments, she'd be great at it. 
and and even even not that just looking at some of the some of the things in her her own county i'm looking forward we'll catch back up in a year or two with the commissioner and see how she's doing on so many of these other things but you know that's what this is about we talked about this podcast being about removing government imposed barriers that was certainly one people need a marriage license in order to get married and when covid hit government said threw their hands up and said well what can we do we can't we can't be open to give you a marriage license she found a way to do it and that's what's great and we wanted to highlight her story for having found that hope you enjoyed today's episode of american potential Thank you for listening to American Potential. You may listen to more stories from Americans working every day to expand freedom and opportunity in their communities by visiting AmericanPotential.com.